Um, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, pick up in, picking up in verse 7. We're going to finish the Beatitudes today. Last week we discussed the first four Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, um, and so they were just as a refresher course for anybody who wasn't here or just a refresher for those who were here who have had a long week. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, as a reminder or information for those who weren't able to be here last week, um, we talked about the difference between the word blessed and the word happy, because some translations translate this happy are, but happy, happiness is a, an emotion that, it, that comes and goes, and it depends on circumstances. But blessed, this word that we have, uh, it's the Greek word makarioi, is an internal peace that's given by the Holy Spirit, which is something that can't be taken from us. So today we're going to discuss the rest of the Beatitudes and how they give us a clear picture of Jesus um, and his character. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand to honor God as we read his word? And we'll pick up in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for this sermon that Jesus preaches. Um, thank you for the clear picture that he gives us of your character. And I pray this morning that we would learn more as we look at the rest of the Beatitudes, that we would be able to understand the blessings, understand um, the promises that come out of this, and understand your character so that you can mold and shape us more into that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right, so again, your points in your sermon notes are going to be one point for each beatitude we go through. And the first one in verse 7 is, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this one is pretty self-explanatory. Um, if you show mercy to others, then people, and more importantly God, will show mercy to you. So it, it, it's pretty self-explanatory. But it is the total opposite of those who think that the only way to success in life is at the expense of others, or the opposite of those who only show kind-heartedness to those who can or will give that back to them in return. Um, and in fact, the, the human mind and the human heart is so um, fallen 
that we're told in John 16, 2, that there are some who will actually think that not showing mercy to you as a believer will be actually fulfilling um, the call of God. Turn with me real quickly just to John, John 16, verse 2, and I'll read to you what I'm talking about. John 16, 2. Jesus has just been telling the disciples that the world is going to hate them. Um, I'll, I'll pick up in verse 1. He says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. And so there's our, our human mind is so corrupt that, um, and so fallen that if we are not renewed in our thinking by the Holy Spirit, then we think the opposite of what God is, God's character is, the opposite of what God intended for us to be. And so he wants us to be people who show mercy to other people. And he, the promise is if you do, mercy will be given to you as well. But John helps us understand that the human mind and the heart are so evil and corrupt that some people do the, not just the opposite of lacking mercy, but go the extra mile and do the harm to you. And they think that they're actually serving God. Now, God condemns all behavior that lacks mercy. And the reason that he condemns that behavior is because it assumes a position of absolute righteousness. If, if we are people who won't show mercy to someone else, then we, the, the deeper issue in our heart is that we think we are more righteous than them. And in fact, we, you, can't, you can't look at someone and not show them mercy without having some kind of understanding, thinking that you are the standard of righteousness. And sinners do not have that position. Sinners cannot stand in that position that is God alone and if God is a God who shows mercy to us then he wants us to show mercy to others as well and I want to look at God's heart of mercy that we can see in other places in scripture so I've got um, I think these might be on the screen yes Hosea 6 6 is an example that we want to look at for I desire mercy not sacrifice an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, remember, the Old Testament required offerings to be made in specific situations. And to not offer the offering that was required was a, was a sin against the Lord. But God says in Hosea, if, if you're bringing sacrifices to me and burnt offerings to me, but your heart is black with sin and your heart isn't a heart that would even consider to be merciful to others that you're not acknowledging me and that you're not bringing these sacrifices for the right reason then i don't want them they don't mean anything if you're not coming to me with a proper heart james two thirteen. it's the next slide james two thirteen. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're not, contrary to what the world believes, we're not called in Scripture to not judge people. Jesus warns about judging people with wrong motives. He warns about judging people when you have the same sin in your own life. But 
we are to make a judgment call on character, and that's why we have scripture that helps us understand things that indicate a believer and growth in their walk with Christ. But James tells us here, if you pass judgment and you don't approach that with a heart of mercy, then um, you will not receive mercy in return. And that James then ends that text with saying, helping, helping us put into perspective that mercy is more important than judgment. We see some places where this concept is also in later on in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is still speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness of someone is an act of mercy. And the concept is the same here. If you want people to do one thing for you, if you want to have something good given to you, you have to give that to others as well. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, still the Sermon on the Mount, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And so that's the, that's the we call that the golden rule. That's the basic um, foundation of this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Basically, treat people the way you want them to treat you, and they will return that to you. Um, and more importantly, God will return that mercy to you if you have a heart of mercy toward others. So that's, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Uh, point number two, verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In the Jewish understanding, the heart was the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And so when they talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, there's this understanding that there's a lot of stuff going on inside you that all ra- is wrapped up in that, um, in that term, the heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us a little bit about our heart. He says, above all else, um, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so your heart is kind of, when, when they talk about the heart in Scripture, they're kind of talking about your inner being, everything that makes up your, your person for the most part. And so Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The reward is that they'll get to see God. But I want to talk about this word pure for just a minute because that word literally means unmixed. Unmixed. It's a term that was used to refer to water or metal that was not contaminated. So it means unmixed, pure. Basically, this means that your heart cannot be divided between devotion to God and devotion to something else or someone else. So if your heart is pure and unmixed, if it's not contaminated, it means it's fully devoted to God. You can't have part of your heart devoted to God and the other part devoted to something else because then that's become an idol and God is no longer your God. So you can do whatever you want to do to look like a person who follows Christ, but if your heart is impure or contaminated, and, or if your devotion to God is divided, then it doesn't matter what the outside looks like. And that was what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for so much. 
that they, they gave the outward appearance of being people who followed the law and people who were righteous, but Jesus could see in their heart, and he could see that their heart was, it was um, not fully devoted to God. It was impure. It was wicked and evil, and, and so the outside was just a show. And we've all seen this in people. Maybe you've even seen it in like church leaders. Um, the news is anytime a church, anytime a pastor um, that's well known in the culture falls, um, the news is all over that. And so we read about this a lot. Pastors that have double lives or they may have a secret sin and it comes out, finally comes to the surface and comes out in public for the public to learn. Um, so we've seen this kind of thing where people put on the outside to look good and the inside is corrupt. Proverbs 3.3, 3, I read this actually last week at the beginning of the service. Um, told you this is my favorite proverb. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Those are there to remind you of God's laws. You have something around your neck, it's a constant reminder because it's there. If something's in your heart, if it's written on your heart, it's something that is going to come out in your life um, because your heart is the wellspring of life. Your heart is what Jesus says, everything that comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. So if it's written on the tablet of your heart, it's going to come out. And that text about what Jesus said comes from Matthew 15 to basically teach his, his listeners that when you sin, it's not just something you do outwardly. It's something that comes from a deeper problem within the heart. He says in Matthew 15, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and these make a man unclean. So it's not the things that you do on the outside or the things that you put into your body that make you unclean. It's the things that come out of your body that make you unclean. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. So the things that we talk about and the language that we use always reflects that which is in our hearts. So if your heart is full of evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander or whatever it might be, then your content of conversation is going to reflect that. And the more you hold that in your heart, the more you allow those things that God warns against to take root in your heart, the more it invades the rest of your life and turns into action. We, we first, Jesus warns that what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. It's going to be things that you proclaim or things that you speak. But the more you allow that to take root, it's going to come out in behavior and it's going to come out in um, the way you treat people in relationships and it's going to come out in um, the way your mind thinks and processes life and truth. So it's so important for us to keep our hearts pure Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, because without holiness no one will see God. And you notice that the, the promise here is if you're pure in heart, you will see God. And Hebrews tells us that you can't see God unless you are in a pursuit of holiness, um, in a pursuit of an intimate relationship with Christ. 
Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. By keeping your heart pure, keeping your heart unmixed, in its devotion to God, you're training yourself to be able to see God. Uh, Max Lucado, um, one last thing on this point. I just want to read a quote from Max Lucado. He said, the heart is the center of the spiritual life. If the fruit of a tree is bad, you don't try to fix the fruit. You treat the roots. And if a person's actions are evil, it's not enough to change habits. You have to go deeper. You have to go to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. And so that's what Jesus is getting at here. Blessed are those who are pure deep down in the inner self. Who, who are you? What do you reflect in, within you that sometimes only God can see? That is, that is, those are the people, the people that are pure in their hearts are the people who will get this, be able to see God, understand God, know him better. All right, number three, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God or children of God. We want to be people who make peace whenever we can. Um, Paul warns us uh, as he's writing the church in Rome in Romans twelve eighteen. He says, if, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Um, and that's hard because... Sometimes people make it hard to live at peace with them. But the context of this verse in Romans is that is um, loving people even when they have done something to make it hard to love them, even if they've done something to hurt you. If it is if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the exhortation or the blessing here is for those who make peace. Jesus did not say blessed are those who keep peace because there's a difference between peace making and peace keeping. Keeping peace usually involves peacekeepers that usually involves allowing someone to behave in a manner that's inappropriate and just kind of brushing it under the rug. If I if I brush it under the rug, lay the rug down, make sure it's nice and flat, no one will know that that problem is underneath there. That's peacekeeping. That's like, I don't want to stir up, I don't want to stir anything up and cause tension, and so I'm just going to brush it under the rug and act like it's not there. But peacemaking, people who are peacemakers, that involves God's spirit of peace intervening in our lives and in the life of the church. And that means sometimes accountability or maybe even rebuking someone for inappropriate behavior or thinking, wrong thinking, or um, whatever it might be. So there's a difference between keeping peace and making peace. And Jesus says, be people who make peace. Peacemaking is harder than peacekeeping because peacemaking forces us to deal with matters of truth. When you have to deal with matters of truth, it's not as easy as ignoring something that's going on and hoping that it'll go away. Luke twelve fifty one says Luke says this. He's recording Jesus' words. He says, Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. 
and that doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Like the world sees Jesus as this just loving person who just accepts everybody and no matter what, you don't have to follow him, just he just loves you. And Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace? My message, my life is going to bring division because the truth divides men. It divides men because it forces you to stand with Jesus or against him. You, there's no neutral ground to stand on. You're either with him or you're against him. So the peace that Jesus is talking about here is a peace that it's not circumstantial. It's something deep down in your heart that comes from God's spirit working in you. But it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. So that's the big, that's the big difference. Peacekeeping tries to avoid conflict. Peacemaking um, approaches conflict from a biblical point of view and deals with it with God's truth. Conflict is going to come, but peace is dealing with that conflict by means of the truth, by the Holy Spirit living in you. And that's what Jesus did with his whole life. So we don't just sit back and never express our opinions or our convictions in order to keep from stirring up trouble. It means you go to someone in a loving manner and you confront him or her when it's needed. It means when someone confronts you, you accept it and you repent rather than becoming defensive, which is typically the first line or the first reaction from our human hearts is to become defensive. But sometimes sometimes this peacemaking is going to be directed at you to correct your thinking, to correct your behavior, to get you walking closer to the Lord. And these people are called sons of God because peace is a characteristic of our Father in heaven and they are reflecting it. All right, point number four from verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ancient writers and speakers would sometimes bracket a section of teaching that they were, as they were speaking and teaching, whether it's students or preaching a sermon or whatever, they would use brackets to, to put at the beginning and the end of some phrase or maybe a block of teaching. And um, it, was, it was a tool that they used at the time. And, and what it meant was the thing that started the bookend at the front and the bookend at the end, it meant everything in between has something to do with those bookends, has something to do with that concept or that teaching or, or whatever. And so what we, Jesus does that here. If you remember the first, look at verse 3, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's just bracketed everything in the Beatitudes under that concept, the kingdom of heaven. And so the blessings thus deal with the gift of the kingdom. And it's important to know that because many at the time believed that the kingdom would be ushered in by a political or a military leader, and they were going to bring political or military or world power back to Israel, and that was what the Messiah in their understanding was supposed to do. 
And Jesus is telling them here, the kingdom is one of power displayed in, not in military strength or in political strength or world power, but in meekness and gentleness and peace and holiness. So he completely turned upside down their concept of what the Messiah was here to do and what God was going to accomplish through the, the ministry of the Messiah. We talked a little bit in Sunday school because we're doing like an overview of the Bible and we talked about how there was this misunderstanding that it was going to be a physical world um, kingdom that the Messiah was supposed to establish by military strength and power and that Jesus came and when he started his ministry, he was proclaiming God's kingdom here, but it was coming in the form of a meek, gentle Messiah who was looking far beyond this world into a spiritual kingdom that would be eternal. Now, verses 11 and 12, if you look at your text, say, blessed are you when people... So Jesus goes a little farther. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It was, at the time it was considered meritorious to die for the law of God. But no rabbi, no teacher in Israel ever called his disciples to be persecuted or martyred for his own name or for his own teaching. So it, it would have meant something to die for God's word, like the prophets were put to death because they were proclaiming God's truth. But no rabbi would have, would have said, here's my teaching. You need to be willing to lay down your life for me and for my teaching. Um, but Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. And so he warns them. People are going to persecute you because of righteousness. But the kingdom of heaven is yours. They're going to insult you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And there's, a, there's a, a tool in the Greek language. You can attach one letter to the front of a pronoun, and it, it means you speak that pronoun with emphasis. And so Jesus uses this here when he says, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so he's... He's very much putting the emphasis on the fact that if you're going to live a righteous life, you're going to have to be willing to endure persecution, insults, people lying about you because you belong to me. And so very much saying, yes, you need to be, you need to be willing to lay down your life for my teaching and for me and my name. Paul tells us in Romans Five, three to five, he says that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. And hope doesn't disappoint us because our hope is in Christ. But what, what Paul's saying here is basically what we've talked about at other times. Um, nobody wants to be persecuted, nobody wants to suffer, but Scripture helps us to understand that that's not necessarily 
it's, it doesn't mean that's a bad thing. It's not fun. Um, I've got a friend who is a pastor at Bethany where we were at before we came here. And he has said, I don't know how many times in less Sunday school lessons, in preaching, just in regular conversation as he's counseling people, hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. In fact, Paul would say hard is actually good because suffering for Christ produces perseverance. It makes you stronger. It makes you be able to endure better. Perseverance then, as you suffer and you, God produces in you perseverance, then God produces character out of that. He molds and shapes you and matures you more into his likeness. And then when he has done that, then you have hope because character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us because our hope is in Christ, who's an unchanging um, rock who, who will, not, will not bend or break. He will not go back on his promises. He has already been victorious in the, in the battle between good and evil, in the battle against our sin. He's overcome and triumphed over Satan. And so our hope is in somebody who cannot fail or fall or break. And who will not break a promise. So as you suffer, you learn to persevere and stand firm. And as you do that, you're being molded into his character. Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that's what Jesus is saying here. People are going to do this. And they're going to do it because you follow me. But rejoice is what he says. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I want you to remember back when we studied Acts. This is early on, so, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll remember the account. I'm not expecting you to remember everything we talked about. But in Acts chapter 5, the apostles had been preaching. They'd been arrested, and they were told not to preach in his name again. So they were warned. They went out. God said, keep preaching this message so they went out and they preached and they were arrested again and the Sanhedrin was like I thought we told you not to do this and the Sanhedrin uh, flogged them and then sent them out and warned them again not to preach in his name and I don't know if you remember but do you remember their response their response was in in chapter 5 verse 41 is that they rejoiced it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, capital M, N, meaning Jesus' name. And so their response is an example for us that when we suffer, when we have to endure hardship, when we're persecuted, it's actually cause for rejoicing. Not because it's fun, but because Jesus said this is going to happen and they're going to do it to you because you do truly belong to me. Which is why in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And I think, I think that's a hard thing to be able to say. I mean, how many of us can say, yeah, I signed me up to go through all the suffering, all the persecution, all the torture, and the death that Jesus went through. That's a hard thing for us to 
grasp. It's a hard thing for us to believe and be willing to live out. But Paul understood hard is not bad. Hard is just hard, and it draws us closer to God. All right, so as we wrap up, all these Beatitudes from the first one that we looked at last week to the last one here, all these Beatitudes are characteristics of righteousness that are found in Christ. It's interesting to me that Jesus tells his listeners and, and indirectly tells us that we are now followers that if they hunger and they thirst for righteousness, which is, you know, like hunger and thirst for all these characteristics that I'm telling you about, then they're going to receive it, which is awesome. And then he concludes by saying, if you live a life of righteousness, so if you hunger and thirst for it, you'll have it. And if you live that, um, well, then you're going to be persecuted. We're able to see in the mindset of the apostles that the persecution, the persecution for the name of Jesus is something to rejoice over, and in Paul's case, something for which he longed and I think, talk about raising the standard. Jesus is raising the standard in the Sermon on the Mount, and I feel like Paul's raising it even higher and saying, not only do you have to live this way, but like I actually want to suffer and die the way he did. Now, that's a disheartening thing to think um, that the world is going to hate us and that because we want to follow Christ, they're going to, they're going to, do this stuff to us potentially that the world hated him and they persecuted him and so i'm sure you're thinking hey kurt thanks for encouraging me today thanks thanks for the good message that makes me feel good about walking with christ here's here are the rewards here are the things i want to leave you with the kingdom of heaven will be given to you there will be no more mourning or grieving You have an eternal inheritance in heaven waiting for you. Your longing for the very character of Christ to be a part of you will be satisfied. Mercy will be shown to you through forgiveness and love. You will get to see God face to face and know him intimately. You will be called his child and the love of the Father will be lavished on you for all eternity. And not only will you receive this reward in heaven, but the reward will be great. So the rewards, the glory that will be given us outweighs the suffering that we have to go through in this world. Jesus, I'm going to close with this. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Don't, don't be concerned. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Lord, as we seek out your character, we seek out knowing you intimately, we seek out your righteousness and hunger for that, God, I pray that we would understand what's going to come with that, the world mistreated you. They will mistreat us if we live like you. So let us not be blindsided. Let us not enter into a walk with you lightheartedly, thinking that everything is going to be perfect after that because life at times is going to be hard. At times we're going to suffer. 
At times we're going to be mistreated. But the promise is that blessings are awaiting us. Some in this world, in this life, some in the life to come. But they can't be taken from us. They're not things that being persecuted will rob us of, but rather they're things that are secure and promised by you and your word never fails. So we can count on it. So, as we go out this week, let these beatitudes that we've studied the last couple of Sundays, let them be things that you are working in us. Let us be poor in spirit. Let us mourn and grieve because of our sin that breaks our relationship with you. Let us be people who are meek and people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and people who are merciful and people who are pure in heart and people who are peacemakers and people who when persecuted because of righteousness or because of your name, stand firm because of the blessings that wait us, wait for us, Lord. Encourage us this week. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to be bold and to speak your truth um, to a world that needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.